Thank you for tuning in to The Grammar of Grief with your host, Uma Girish, the show that is dedicated to creating a safe space to discuss the big life questions around grief, loss, death, and dying. Now, here's your host, Uma Girish. Welcome, everyone, to a brand new guest interview on The Grammar of Grief. You're going to love today's conversation because I'm speaking with Kathy Nitz. Let me begin with a little introduction. Kathy Nitz is a life strategist, inspirational speaker, and the creator of Caring Cards, a set of 50 question cards that can be used to open meaningful conversations with seniors or just about anyone to explore memories, wisdom, and personal histories. Most important to her, she was a caregiver to her mom who suffered from dementia for 14 years. As a professionally trained life and relationship coach and a certified senior advisor, Kathy helps her clients successfully navigate transitions, especially the challenges of elder care, to find the joy within this often challenging and bittersweet journey. You can learn more about her at www.kathynitz.com. That's K-A-T-H-I-E-N-I-T-Z.com or www.caringcards.com. Welcome, Kathy. I'm so grateful we are about to have this conversation. Oh, thank you, Uma. It's an honor to be with you today. I, I really appreciate the opportunity and I'm excited to have a chat. Wonderful. Well, as you know, this is my ninth year working in the senior industry. And let me just say, I absolutely love your caring cards. I use them with my seniors. The questions there are absolutely wonderful. And we just end up having a good discussion. They tell me stories and anecdotes. So anyone who's listening, I just want you to know that this is an invaluable resource. If you have elderly parents, you work in a senior care facility of some kind, or you just want to use it as an icebreaker. So if I were you, I'd head over at the end of this conversation to www.caringcards.com. Buy yourself a deck. It's absolutely marvelous. So I just wanted to put that out there before we began our conversation. So, Kathy, your mother had been declining for 14 years before she passed. What was it like for you to be with her dementia all those years? Oh, uh, yes, Uma, it was. She moved out here uh, to be near me 14 years ago. And when she first came out, uh, there was just a slight amount of dementia. And then, of course, it progressed through the years. And uh, I really learned that so much of, of being with someone with dementia really transcends words you know, our energy is easily sensed by them. And um, so often, um, I don't know, it was just a, it was just a very meaningful connection. We oftentimes try to fill the space. I watch people talking and trying to do and, and push through the visits. But I really learned to set my intention to just be open and loving and expansive and calm. And that, that really worked. That really worked with her. And I guess that's um, easier when, when the patient is open to receiving, you know, how some people 
who have dementia can be really difficult to handle. That's true. That's true. And yet I felt like when I allowed myself to sort of be in the moment and let my feelings wash over me, as you know, in every moment with someone with dementia, it it can be different. When I focused on my mom and when I focused on what I knew she liked or what I knew worked, which could be different in every moment and same thing sensed her and what transcended words coming back from her, it really set me up for success. So my point being that if I, pushed my agenda, or if I corrected, or if I did a lot of the things I did at the beginning, some of the, the hiccups that I had at the beginning, they could easily set her off quickly and mm. take her down a different path. And so I think that we actually have a lot better opportunity to set the tone based on the way we show up and how we approach things. So what you're saying is we have more control of the energy in the exchange than we, um, than we often realize. I think so. I think so. For instance, I can just give you a quick funny story just to show how differently things can, can be. Earlier on in my mom's dementia, uh, she would get very anxious when I was going to leave. So I really learned to say things like, you know, I love you, have a good lunch, and I'll see you soon not to say goodbye because when I would say goodbye, she would get very upset. Well, one time my husband was with me and he's a jokester with my mom and I had said my usual, you know, enjoy your lunch. I'll see you soon. And he leaned forward in front of her and sort of very, in a funny, dramatic way said, Doreen, we're leaving. Uh, You know, we'll, we'll see you later. And she went, you're, you're what you're leaving. You're just going to leave me here like a lump, you know, and the whole started exactly. And we laughed so hard because it just showed how different the approach was when I confidently said, I love you. Have a great lunch. I'll see you soon. She was happy. But the minute she heard those words, so be mindful of, of what you say, the way you say it. Um, And I especially found that transitions of coming and going were, were really the key times with them. But that was a funny moment. Right. Now, I know from conversations we've had before that you and your mom had a very close relationship. So what was the experience like of, you know, witnessing her passing? I've been a, a hospice volunteer for many years and I've sat with the dying Um, And I know that it's a very sacred moment when the soul leaves the body. But for so many people out there, the moment of death is one that holds a lot of terror. So I'm wondering what the experience was like you having had this really close relationship with your mom. Well, I'd like to share something leading into that because I think it it tees up the whole thing. May I, I just want to read a little because it it ties in what we just spoke about to, to the passing. And I promise I'll cover that. Um, This, I wrote a little over, it was almost a year to the day that she passed away prior to her passing away. And I put down some days are so much harder than others, at least initially. There are times when I walk into my mom's room and when I see her, I have a moment when I want to run away and cry because of her state of being when I arrive. Then I look at her and see her and open my heart and focus on love, only love. I looked into her eyes and I said, I see you in there. And she looked at me with big eyes and said softly, you do? This is where we begin. 
And slowly but surely, something magical happens for both of us. Our fear, our anxiety, disappointment, anger, etc. wash away. And eventually we're left with loving each other in the moment. It's not always easy, but it's my commitment to her, to me, to us. Eyes and heart wide open always. And the reason I share that is because that's the intention that I sent set through so many years. And so that's how I showed up the day I got the call. I, I got a call at 8 a.m. that said your mom has taken an unexpected sudden turn and you want to get here right away. It was 8 a.m. in the morning. So I dashed over there and on my way over there, I was thinking, you know, please, if it fits your will, please just let her pass before I get there because I wasn't sure how I would handle that. And when I got to her door, I really... It references back to what I just said, which is eyes and heart wide open hmm. and just showing up with love. So I thought, whatever happens, I've loved her through all of this, and I'm going to love her including this. And so it just set the tone for me to be fully present in whatever came. And I was blessed to be at her bedside comforting and reassuring her until she eventually surrendered. Um, I softly whispered affirmations and reassurance into her ear with my hand resting on her chest and my, you know, my forehead gently resting on hers when I wasn't kissing her. And Mm. one of the last things I remember saying to her was, Uh, free yourself from the struggle and give yourself wings to fly. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you, Uma. You know, I just, that passage you read, Kathy, it just touched me so deeply. That is so beautiful. Oh, thank you. You know, I, it, it, it just, it's such a complicated journey and relationship. And when we can distill it down to, Seeing them, hearing them, being in the moment with them, loving them, it just simplifies it. It just mm. honors the journey. It simplifies it. It, it takes the pressure out of, off of all of us and just allows us to be. And um, yeah, so, you know, when the moment came, she, did, she was not... Um, verbal when I showed up, she was already starting to actively pass. Mm -hmm. So I never got to speak to her through communication of words back and forth. But I know without question on that day, like every other day, she felt safe and loved. And I can't imagine a more reassuring feeling leaving the world than knowing that. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to read your Facebook post um, in detail, and and you say something very deeply moving and profound. Um, And this is something many of my clients are personally challenged by, and I want to just read that sentence. You say, I'm deeply grateful to have no regrets. I mean, what a gift, what a gift to give your mother that you did everything you could for her and you were able to say goodbye and have her fly away, knowing how deeply she was loved. So 
I guess my question to you is, what might you say to someone who has a difficult relationship with a parent? You know, not everyone has had the good fortune of being in a relationship that's nurturing and kind. And yet sometimes the burden of caregiving falls upon their shoulders. So how do they navigate that difficult terrain? Well, I'll tell you a little secret (laughs) that our relationship was very complicated and often emotionally draining up until the point that she moved out to be near me. Uh, Yeah, it was, you know, circumstances brought her. And I always say when she arrived, in addition to her luggage, we were both carrying a lot of baggage. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And for two years, you know, with the best of my intentions, I now realize I failed her miserably in many ways. You know, I, we stepped on each other's toes. We ruffled each other's feathers. We butted heads. I mean, all those things that, that can happen. And, and what happened for me, which is why, you know, you and I are both so committed to helping this population of, of caregivers um, and people navigating elder care was taking, you know, my life coaches training changed me, but my relationships coaches training transformed my life and it transformed the way I showed up from my mom. Um, it just helped me communicate more effectively and embrace her perspective. Didn't mean I had to agree with it, but if I could understand her perspective, it allowed me an opportunity to work with her as a team. And it really just allowed me to see her more dimensionally. So as, as I became more compassionate, I started to remember more of, uh, more of the rest of my life, not the more contentious parts, but maybe parts that were more playful in childhood or it made mm-hmm. me see her more dimensionally. And that was the first key to really helping me be able to show up this way with more love and understanding. Um, So I think for your listeners, the things that they can do is to seek out certainly the information that you share and to listen to the people you interview, because I think so many of us have been on this journey and have learned by trial and error what works. And I think the other thing is just, to allow your loved one and yourself to be human and to slow down and to just, oh gosh, just be more loving and compassionate with yourself as well. Um, Yeah, I really hear what you're saying because... um... My father was an alcoholic and for many years we struggled in in our relationship with each other and he in in relationship with me, my siblings, my mother. And so when um, he finally went to AA and sobered up, we began to build and bond our relationship all over again. And eventually he had a very difficult transition in the sense that he suffered a head injury after an accident. And then for 18 years after that, he was in and out of hospitals. But I remember that through that period of his dementia and his eventual um, decline, there was nothing but love. It it felt like very much like what you're saying. There was just love. And I remember the last moments of his life, the day before he passed away, all four of us siblings were at his bedside, mm. we held hands and we sang to him. 
And that was such a beautiful moment. I remember we, we were crying and singing all at the same time. And these were songs we had sung as a family together. So these were songs he had taught us. Oh, and so it just, beautiful. Yeah, it just felt like such a precious moment. These were sacred chants and, mm. you know, songs with spiritual meaning. And we just sat there, held hands and sang to him. Uh, I'm sure he heard us. But mm. what I'm trying to get across to our listeners is that no matter how rocky the relationship, I think when it comes to a place where you become the parent and they become the child, we do have the opportunity and the choice to open our hearts and serve. I think in that moment, a lot of it can be cleansed and a lot of the unfinished business can be resolved. I, I think so too. And I just, if I might, I have a couple of random thoughts that came through that really reinforce this. The, the one, sure. the one uh, thing I'd like to add about the child and parent relationship is that they may exhibit childlike behavior Mm. but they're still the parent. And there is that misconception of that they're not capable or they're not, you know, think, and when my mom passed, she was 89 years old. And even though she would exhibit very childlike behavior, I always remembered she was my 89 year old mother and I was the daughter. But what I would always say is we're two women in the moment doing the best we can. <laughs> so it that's when I just would remember that that we're doing the best we can in each moment that we're a team she always loved that like I could always see her kind of you know puff up her chest and sort of like yeah we're in this together and I think sometimes that's where we as the children go wrong a little bit uh, is that we kind of start trampling over them to sort of um push things forward that we think is best so I think that that's an, an important step and um, I also thought about when you were saying about your father and your early on relationship, one of the quotes that helped me so significantly was forgiveness frees the forgiver. Mm. And I think when, and I wish I could attribute it to someone, I don't have it in front of me, but that was one that I thought of often, Uma, because it's a two-way forgiveness. That's also what I said to my mom when she was passing, you know, forgive me if there's anything I've ever done that hurt you. Because I just think it, it's okay to say that. And so by forgiving my mom, her humanness and the ways that she failed me, it allowed me to forgive myself for the ways that I failed myself or my mom. And it just allowed me to, again, like open my heart and be more loving. And it doesn't happen overnight. It happens mm -hmm. with guidance and reinforcement. But that was a huge one for me as well. Oh, that's beautiful, Kathy. So do you feel her presence now that she's no longer in a physical body? I, I do without questions. It just actually that question gives me goosebumps because um, <laughs> it, it uh, some of it, I mean, I expected to somehow be connected to her. Um, a, a few thoughts on that. The first thing was I was stunned. Like when she passed, I remembered saying, now I know how it ends. Like that's part of the relief that came to me. I knew what she endured and I knew what she was spared. And then I did, I thought of her sort of unencumbered by all the challenges, both she was confined to a wheelchair and also her dementia and several ways. We both loved nature and every chance I had, I would bundle her up and take her outside. So I, I feel her through nature. I especially feel her, 
I often say to my husband, I feel like the sky is hugging me. Hmm. I just feel this greater presence around me. I often find feathers in my path. And I really, truly believe those are little gifts and messages from my mom. Um, I've had some beautiful dreams about her. Not a lot, but one, um, my father passed when I was 22 years old. So, you know, 30 plus years ago. And one dream she came to me and she was so excited because she told me that she had found daddy and brought him back to me. Mm. And it was so beautiful because it was, he'd been gone so long and I was just a young girl when he passed that um, it, it was like her going up there. She had been able to reunite us and it was just, just lovely. So those are a few of the ways that I do feel her presence. And I think the other thing that really surprised me, Uma was maybe this happened for you as well was I had learned to be so in the moment with her that when she passed, I was stunned by the whole of her life flooding back to me and the whole of our journey flooding back to me. That, that really took me by surprise. Mm. And I think that does happen. You're right. Because in that moment of loss, I think we go back to who was this person who who brought me into this earthly existence and what's the journey we've been on. So I totally resonate with that. Right. Because, you know, when we're in the moment and we're, we're, we're trying to help this person navigate this very tender place in their lives and to tend to our own spirits as well and, and be kind and loving to each other in it, that it gets very sort of small. And so to have it all of a sudden become expansive was this really like, wow, that's, we've been a, on a long journey together. And, and uh, now I know how it ends. Right. My younger sister, Maya and I were the ones who cared for both my parents until all eight when uh, my husband, daughter and I moved to the States. And so those were the most challenging years for my sister because that's when my mother was diagnosed with cancer then she mm. passed away and 18 months after my mother's death my father died so those were intense years for her and she always told me when both my parents had passed away that she didn't know who she was anymore she her identity had been so wrapped up in the caregiving role mm. and everything that goes with it that she suddenly found herself in the middle of this huge void. So how do you deal with the void after being your mother's caregiver for so many years? Mm. Uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, at, at, at first, I really just gave myself space to grieve. I, I didn't rush it or I didn't push it away. I just let myself feel what I needed to feel. Um, you know, everybody would often ask me, how are you doing? And I'd often answer, I don't know, which mm -hmm. I thought was also giving myself space. I didn't need to name it or, or put a happy face on or, or not do it. I, I didn't know how I was doing. Um, and then initially I, you know, put my favorite jammies on and tea and, uh, you know, did a lot of kind of cozying in. It was winter time. Um, but from there, I, I think I'm fortunate because part of my journey with my mom was capturing moments with her. So she, she was very funny and had a great sense of humor. And she would always have these little 
I called them dosi, D-O-S-I isms, because that was her nickname, dosi isms. And when she would say them, I would think, oh, I'll never forget that. But I would forget it by the time I got to my car. So I started texting them to myself. Hmm. And just little things that she'd say, or you know, the time that she would whistle at the construction workers, even though she didn't know my name or couldn't put words together, she could still catcall the, the, the construction <laughs> workers or you know, funny things like that. And, um, and I have over almost 900 of these that I just wow. texting to myself. So to go back to your question of how am I dealing with this, for me, I'm very fortunate that I preserve these and I'm putting them into a book that will not only address some of the things we're talking about, which is how to learn to be present and to do the best you can and allow that to be enough, but also to share all these things. So I'm very fortunate that I captured these because it keeps her spirit alive and her presence alive for me in a way that is probably more tangible than is often true for others who lose their, their parents. So um, it's a real blessing to have, I had no idea what I was going to do with them when I first started saving them, but that's, that's how this whole thing has transformed. Yeah. And I think it's a wonderful remind, reminder for anyone listening that if they still have time with their loved one, the, where their loved one is able to communicate or say things, it may be a good idea to record that for later. Well, it's true. And even getting back to just the caring card concept, whether it's the caring cards or using your own questions, for instance, one of them in the pack, I mean, I can, my mom was my test pilot. She was my inspiration and my test uh, person for it. And one of them was, you know, how do you know when someone loves you? And she said, well, that's easy. You feel it. Yeah. And I said, what does it feel like? And she said, it's warm and soft. Sweet. Oh. And I said, well, that is what it feels like. And I wouldn't have that response and that memory with me if I hadn't moved beyond the custodial conversations of, you know, when's your haircut? When's this? I'll be back. How about this? When's your doctor's appointment? You know, it, it can all become so custodial that it's nice to, as you say, just speak to your loved one and if they're able to and um, capture those moments. Right. So I work with um, women who are grieving a loss, whether it's the death of a loved one, the end of a relationship, or whether they're watching a parent die, or they've lost a dream and are feeling kind of rudderless and unfocused in the world. Now, many of these uh, women who come to me for sessions, they are dealing with guilt. A lot of it is has to do with the fact that they didn't do enough for the person they were caring for or somehow they failed them or made decisions that weren't, that weren't right or the best ones for them. And the other piece of it is that many of them struggle with self-care. They give all of their energy to the person they, they're caring for or have cared for that they've forgotten how to look after themselves. What's your best advice for someone who's in a caregiving role? So uh, I think in those roles, Uma, there's so much free-floating stress because we're trying to do everything 100% all the time. So some of the quick sort of things that pop into my mind are, uh, first of all, when you were saying um, they deal with guilt about that they didn't do enough. And I think it's so important to manage your expectations of what's possible for you. So 
I think the way I, the best way I can put it is if the doing comes from a place of pure intention. So for instance, if you, oh gosh, it's, it's so, it's all woven together. So forgive me, but it's like the the, the struggle with self-care often comes from trying to do everything for the other person all the time. Mm. And so if we can learn to manage those expectations and say, this is, this is what I can give and this feels right. So for me, for instance, I had certain days and times that I knew that were my mom's optimum. So when I went there, of course, it was not an in-home. She was you know, being cared for in a nursing community. When I was there, I was there a thousand percent. And when I wasn't, I allowed myself to trust that she was cared for and that I could be away from it and take care of the other parts of my life. For the people who are 24 hours in it and don't feel like they do enough, that's really important for them to manage those expectations and know that they don't have to fulfill every role. Mm. So they're often so reluctant to let go of control because they feel like it's their role. But your primary role is that person's daughter or son or, you know, wife or a husband and then there are duties that need to be happen but they don't all have to fall on you so i can't encourage people enough to really separate out and say this is my mom this is what i can do from a place of pure intention and who can help me with these other things that need to be done for this my loved one's care i hope that comes together as a cohesive thought but but that to me is what what comes foremost first. I think that's great advice, Kathy. I love what you said about managing expectations. I think we've bought into this idea that somehow we can control everything in our lives and somebody else's life. And that's simply not true. Mm -hmm. So just be aware that you do the best you can with what you have and what you know and what you don't know. Well, you don't know and you can't do it. So I, I think that's a really good piece of advice. So that's we have about a couple of minutes um, before we wind up here. Are there any last thoughts that you'd like to share with the listeners? Anything that you want to leave them with? Well, just quickly, if I might, just on what we were just talking about, one thing that helped me was, you know, we plan for birthdays and, you know, uh, weddings and all kinds of things and, and create visions and plans, but we don't plan and have a vision for caregiving. So I go back to that whole from a place of pure intention. When I knew what I wanted my mom's life to look like, I wanted her to feel safe, loved and supported. When I used those and what I knew she liked, it helped me make choices efficiently and uh, quickly and guilt-free. So I highly recommend that know, know your loved one. Like I knew my mom loved sunshine, so I knew to get her in a, a room with a big window. Or I knew to take her outside. Know what feeds them, but also know what feeds you. And then you combine those two things to create something that, that nurtures both of you. So I just wanted to, to add that on. And, um, you know, the biggest thing I always say, Uma, is every care recipient is different. Every caregiver is different. So every caregiver journey is different. And we're so quick to read things and compare and and think that there's a right way to do it. But I just can't emphasize enough knowing your loved one, knowing yourself, opening your heart, 
and really just showing up with love and the best of intentions. I mean, I tear up every time I say it, but it's just a deep truth uh, to just let yourself and everyone around you be human and um, come from a place of love. Oh, I love that, Kathy. I just, I, I just feel that the journey you've been on has given you so much and you are so generous in the way you travel everywhere and speak and share your truths and your wisdom. So I'm very, very grateful that we had this conversation. I'm sure the listeners are making notes and taking away so much that they can practically implement in their own lives. And for those of you who'd like to connect more with Kathy, let me remind you of her websites. You can go to kathynids.com, K-A-T-H-I-E-N-I-T-Z, or caringcards.com. Thank you again, Kathy, for coming on The Grammar of Grief. I'm so delighted we had this conversation. Oh, it's, it's been an honor, Uma, and I appreciate everything that you do. And uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm very grateful. Absolutely. So listeners, as we get ready to say goodbye, I just want to remind you that my transformational memoir, which tells the story of how my mother in India passed away after I moved to the States and how that shifted everything, just about everything in my life. That book is called Losing Amma, Finding Home, a memoir about love, loss and life's detours. And you can find it on Amazon. You can buy it for your Kindle or, or a print version both are available on Amazon. So thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you'll share the grammar of grief with people you know, your community, your friends, your family members. Let's get the word out because so many people need this information. People are struggling for ideas and inspiration, things that they can implement so that they can heal and grow and be better and whole in their own lives. So thank you again for being with us and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Grammar of Grief with Uma Girish. If you enjoyed the program, please leave a review and rating on iTunes. Connect with Uma at www.umagirish.com. That's U-M-A-G-I-R-I-S-H.com for grief guidance and inspiration.